Nehemiah's, go to the very end of your Bible and turn backwards. You'll find it. Chapter 1 is where we are going to begin today. Again, so good to have you here with us this morning. In Revelation chapter 1, we'll begin verse number 1 today. It says these words, a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. He bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All tribes of the earth will well on account of him, even so. Amen. And the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and the Smyrna, and the Pergamum, and the Thyatira, and the Sardis, and the Philadelphia, to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His feet were like a flame of fire, his, or his eyes, sorry, were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand. He held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. It's for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches. 
The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. The word of the Lord for us this morning. I'm going to begin, as you can see in your bulletin and your handout, a, a series of messages on the first three chapters here of the book of Revelation. And as I was listening to a podcast that I like to listen to a few months ago, I heard another individual preach through these chapters in his book, in his church, and realized that there's a lot that can be gleaned even from these opening three chapters. And especially as we stand here at the beginning of, of a new year. Of course, our here on January 1st, and we're so glad that you're here, that you've made this a, a priority in your life, a priority, hopefully a goal to be in worship as much as possible. We like to think about things that we're going to do and how we're going to make this year a better year. And if your goal is to, you know, lose those 20 pounds that you've been wanting to lose. I'm sorry that we're not going to help you with that after church. <laughs> Maybe you can start on Monday and get going then. But this is a time, this time where we evaluate. It's time where we take a little introspection. We think about our lives and consider where we are. And considering these passages and what Jesus says to these churches... Like I said, as I was listening to someone else preach through these passages earlier a few months ago, I began to realize it is honestly a great thing to consider as we begin this time of year. So it's far from having a New Year's Day message about do better and set goals and stuff. We're going to take a New Year's month, and actually two months, to... Evaluate where we are as a church, think about our own lives, and ask ourselves the questions that come up as a result of these letters to these churches. Before we go too far, really, we should probably clarify some things. It's easy when you mention that you're going to have a, a series of sermons or messages on Revelation to get everybody excited. We like to, in our day and hour, play, you know, how else do you say it, pin the tail on the Antichrist and try to figure out, is this it? Is this the end time? We like to read things into all kinds of things that really don't make a lot of sense. And so we find ourselves believing that if you are drinking monster energy drink, you have on that can the mark of the beast and... I don't know if they fashioned it after that, but trust me, you don't have the mark of the beast if you're drinking monster energy drink. You might have a heart attack, but that's a different issue, so you probably probably shouldn't drink it. But that's, that's what we do. We, we often get excited about things like that, and the reality is Revelation is not necessarily a book that focuses on everything that is going to take place in the end time. All the stuff that gets us excited. We don't have to worry about whether or not a barcode or a microchip being inserted into us is, is it and we're doomed forever. 
These things get us excited, but, but really if you were to distill down the message and the focus of the book of Revelation, it's actually found in the opening words of this chapter. Look again at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and, and look at what John wrote there. He wrote, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ. This is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And when you hear the word apocalypse, understand we're not talking about zombies marching through the streets killing all of us, okay? Apocalypse actually means uncovering, unveiling, revealing. Apocalypto in the Greek means covering and apo, apoc, or whatever you want to say, means uncovering. And so what John is writing to us is a revealing of who Jesus Christ is. What is John seeing in this book? He is seeing Jesus Christ as the risen, resurrected, ascended Lord of history. He is seeing the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is ruling and reigning over all of humanity and all of human history. This is what John is seeing. He's not just revealing, and of course he does in a sense, revealing a, an antichrist or a, a whatever, a tribulation or whatever you want to say. No, he is revealing to you and I and to these churches in particular that Jesus Christ is alive and that He rules and reigns over all the heavens and the earth and He is the victorious King of kings. And Lord of lords. And the reason John sees the risen and resurrected Christ is because of what the church, the churches that he is writing to is about to face and go through. You see, from the time of Christ's ascension until now to 60 or 90 AD, whenever the book was written, the church had faced times of persecution. But we know in the, into the second century that the church began to face more intense persecution and stronger persecution. As Rome realized that the church was actually making an impact on the world and the gospel was spreading and, and Christians were being converted to Christ and they were leaving the pagan worship and allegiance to the emperors of Rome they began to realize that the church was an obstacle that they had to deal with and that they had to mess with. And as a result of this, Rome begins to persecute Christians more and more, and the churches were facing three different paths that they could walk down as a result of the persecution that was coming their way. First of all, they could give in to the Roman Empire and worship and obey them. Declare that Caesar is Lord, that He is a deity worthy of worship. Secondly, they could try to find a compromised position with the Roman Empire. Maybe the Roman Empire will leave them alone if they'll just compromise and give in to them. Or third, the church could stand and confess 
that Christ is Lord. Christ is King. Caesar is not God. Christ is Lord of all. And they could face the consequences that would come their way by boldly standing and confessing that Christ is Lord. And really, when you consider the time in which John is writing, when you consider the happenings of the first century church, you realize how important and timely the message of Revelation is, not just to John, but also to us today in this day and hour. We're living in uncertain times, aren't we? We're living in a time when being a Christian is not a positive thing. It used to be a good thing. Everybody used to like and respect the Christians in town. But yet, in our day and hour, being a Christian is becoming the negative thing. We're living in a time where you may be very well forced to choose between your job or your devotion to Christ. Or you may be forced to, to take a stand that causes your own family to turn against you. You may be forced to pledge allegiance to things that are contrary to the teachings of the Word of God. And my question to you is very simple. What choice will you make? What will be your answer? When you are told to give in and pledge your allegiance and your fidelity to the idols of this world, to the things of this world that are contrary to the Word of God, the question that each and every one of us may find ourselves facing is what are you going to do? This is what the early church is facing. These seven churches are facing. The Spirit begins to reveal this revelation to John so that he might encourage these churches that we are going to be looking at and encourage us by, by way of recording this as inspired Scripture to encourage us that contrary to what the world tells us, contrary to what the world would want us to believe, that there is a God that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He rules and reigns over all the earth. John writes these words so that these churches could remember and they could base their faith in a reality that is not the world's reality, but a reality that is grounded in truth, that is grounded in who Jesus Christ is. One commentary writes this, he says, the apocalypse, the book of Revelation, if you would, is a prophetic work which not only posts a theodicy or a vindication for some Christians already suffering, but it sets forth definitions of reality for Christians in general that run counter to those of the dominant political, economic, and religious society in which they live. In other words, John writes this book to present a reality that is contrary to the views of the Roman society that they are in. 
John views the church, he goes on and says, as a group that is to function, to preserve the plausibility structure for the counter-definitions of reality revealed by God. In particular, the church's liturgy reminds believers of the true cosmic order undergirding them and all society. This guy is saying is this, there is a truth. There is a truth that undergirds and fashions this world. This truth is not found in what the political powers that be would tell us. This truth is not found in what the academics of society tell us. This truth is founded in God's Word, and that is this. Jesus Christ is King, and He is Lord. And this truth is the truth that needs to sustain us no matter what we face in life. And so we begin by looking, first of all, at the one who is speaking. The one who is speaking to these churches. John takes up his pen here and he begins to write to these churches. He begins with the summation of who it is that has spoken to him, who has revealed this vision to him. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits or who are before His throne. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. He has made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Behold, He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. And the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Notice the summation, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Who is speaking to John? It is the one who is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who is a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and He is the ruler of kings on earth. He's the one who loves us and has freed us by His blood from our sins. And has made us a kingdom, has made us priests to His God and Father. This is the one who is speaking to John. And of course, we know this because of verses 10 and 11. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John is told, he's told, write down what you see. Write down this vision and look what John does. Verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. I turn, and what do I see? I see these seven lampstands, which are told in verse, tw- in verse 20 are the seven churches that John is going to write to. But we notice the one who is speaking to the church, the first, the last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty 
God. Then John gives us gives us his, his physical description. His physical description. Look at what he says. Beginning in verse 13. Probably before I going further, I should probably make this clear. Revelation is really meant to be read symbolically. Most of what you read should be understood in a symbolic manner. Christ does not have a literal sword coming out of his mouth. Of course, we know that the word of God, according to Hebrews 4, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when John sees a vision of, of a sword coming out of the mouth of Christ, he is, he is telling us that by the word of Christ, these things are happening. Look at what we see here, verse 13, in the midst of the lamp stands one, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his waist. What we see here is a depiction. The son of man in priestly garments. The priest, of course, was responsible for ministering in the temple and he would wear the white linen robes signifying the righteousness that is found in Christ. The priest is responsible for ministering in the temple among the lampstands, and this is what we are seeing. Christ too, verse 14, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, they were like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. John makes this depiction. He is connecting the dots between Revelation here and what he sees and what Daniel saw hundreds of years ago in Daniel chapter 7. Betrayal of the son's, son of man's head and hair is taken from that of the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 9. While the description of his eyes and feet again follow Daniel chapter 10. Mention of this furnace again echoes the description from Daniel Chapter number three. And so it is when God, or when John writes down that he sees the Son of Man, he is portraying the language of Daniel chapter seven again. And as you can see from this description, John is alluding to Daniel. He uses these descriptions in Daniel to tell the readers that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what Daniel saw those many hundreds of years ago. Daniel 7.13, I already alluded to, but read it here with me. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. Again, verse 16 of Revelation chapter 1, in Christ's right hand he holds Seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all his full strength. Jesus is holding the seven stars, the angels, the elders, the pastors of these churches, ones who are protecting him, watching over the churches, and he's coming with a, with a sharp two-edged sword, his powerful word which comes to bring judgment upon the nations and churches that are rejecting him. 
And of course, the point of all of this is this. John is seeing a vision of Christ. And he is seeing a fulfillment of what Daniel and the Old Testament had prophet, prophets had prophesied about. What they had seen and referred to in their visions. This is who the Jews were looking for. And just as Matthew and Luke depict Christ's first coming, His first advent, so John is showing us how Christ is the fulfillment of the final advent of the Messiah that is to come. The Old Testament, or the, the Jews reading this book would immediately understand that what John is writing is what Daniel Isaiah, Malachi, Micah, and on and on we could go. What they had written about and prophesied all those hundreds of years before. We see more than just this physical description though. Notice also, notice also Jesus' description of Himself. His description of Himself. Jesus, or John I should say, sees His vision. Notice John's reaction. Verse 17, when I saw him, I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Again, Christ is used in prophetic language. Isaiah 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Revelation 1, verse 18, I am the living one. I died and then behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Paul spoke of this in Romans 14 when he said, For this end, Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. John again writes about it later in the book. He said, I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. What Christ is telling John here And this description of Himself is that He is God. He is Lord. He is victorious. He is the first and the last. Hades is the place of departed spirits in Acts, according to Acts chapter 2. And what John is telling, or what Christ, I should say, is telling John, is that He has the authority. He has the power. Hades is always linked with death and it is regarded as an enemy. But Jesus tells John that I hold the keys of death in Hades. I have the power to send people to death and to hell and I have the power to deliver them. He is supreme in a supremacy over the spirit world and over death itself is a supremacy such as the tyrants who persecuted John's readers never dreamed of. Jesus is saying, I have all power and authority. 
And this power is something the rulers, tyrants, and people of this world could never, ever dream of holding. You see, the one who is speaking to the church is not just any ordinary person. The one who is speaking here in Revelation is the one who created the universe and upholds it by the word of His power. The one who is speaking is the one the last week we were talking about who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross and rose again and descended into heaven. And now He is seated at the right hand of God as King of kings and Lord of lords. And that leads to my second point here and really the the summation of this sermon this morning. And that is this, why, why His words matter. Why His words matter. Think about this for a moment. We have seven churches who are about to receive a message. The question becomes, why Why should we listen to this message that they're about to receive? There's a lot of people that run around and claim to be somebody. There's a lot of people that claim that they know what they're talking about. But why does this person have authority to speak in the manner that he does? And this is why John writes down this description of what he saw and why Jesus tells him who he is. But John is letting the churches know that the one who is speaking to them holds all power and authority and as such, he must be listened to. He must be submitted to. We need to think about that. Jesus is about to tell these churches that they have lost their first love. That they need to repent. They need to strengthen what is falling away. Some of the things that he says are, are harsh. The things that would make them bristle. To be honest, they'll make us bristle. They'll make us uncomfortable as we think about what Jesus is saying. And yet if Jesus is who he said he is, if He is who John has recorded Him as being, then His words must have gravitas. They must have weight. They must have some meaning behind them. Imagine it wouldn't be too hard or in a garage or some kind of shop around here and open a thing and say, I am so-and-so's repair shop. Most time though, when you go in these auto repair shops, if they're worth anything, you'll notice there right in front, right where it's visible, that they are certified that they have some kind of authority to say, yes, I know what I'm talking about. When you bring your car in, I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to fix it right. 
There are contractors that run around and they have a license. They say they're licensed contractors. Maybe it's because the state just likes to hold them hostage for money, which is probably the case, but but they want you to know, I have some kind of power and authority behind what I am saying. Doctor will post his medical degree. Doctor of whatever it is to let you know that he actually knows why you have a stomachache. John is writing a revelation of this risen, ascended Christ. And he is telling them, you need to listen. And it has implications for us today. Yes, Revelation is written to these seven churches, but it is also written for us. And when Jesus is saying things like you need to repent and renew your first love, you need to be faithful to the point of death You need to be discerning in who you are listening to and who you're allowing to influence your spiritual life. You need to heed that call. And it goes even further. It goes even further than that. The question we need to answer, we need to settle in our minds is this. Do I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross and rose again, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming back one day to judge the nations and bring in a new heaven and earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, of course I am. Why do you think I'm here this morning? Not just here because of the good food. Maybe you are, but welcome you anyways. But I want to ask you that question. Do you honestly, seriously believe that? Do you really hold to that truth? Because what, what, what are we going to face this year? What are we going to go through this year? I have no idea. Fact of the matter is, in 2023, you might face death. You might face death either for yourself or for a loved one. And if God were to take away from you the thing that you, the person you care about most, can you be like Job? It says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be His name. And can you fall on your knees and worship Him? Because He is Lord. Because He is King of all. You mine as an individual face persecution. A job might come to you and say, you've got to wear our pride logo. You've got to celebrate things that are not right, things that are contrary to the Word of God. And 
If you don't do it, you're going to lose your job. My question to you is this. Do do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and that He rules and reigns and His truth reigns? I mean, I know you sung a He is Lord forever, His truth shall reign. In case you're wondering why I'm not on the worship team, that's why. Heaven and earth rejoice. You you sang it and it's an old song. We We all sing it, but do you believe that? Do you believe that so much that you are willing to base everything that you have lived for and worked for on? Can you raise your hand this morning? Say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean in Jesus' name. Amazes me. Amazes me to think that we have Christians who've allowed a virus, and I don't want to undermine the seriousness of COVID, and some of you have been impacted far greater ways than I have. But there are Christians who walked out of a church in March of 2020 have not been back to a church since. Meanwhile, they have no problem going to Walmart. They have no problem going to Giant. Some of them may have gathered with 107,000 people in Happy Valley to watch Penn State. Gather with 70 or 80,000 people down in Philadelphia or MetLife Stadium, wherever your team is. And yet they say we can't gather together to worship. And I think how? How do we really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and that He rules on the throne and that He is worthy of our worship? And again, as I've said, ever since COVID hit, if you're sick, you got a fever, please, please stay home. If you're up to midnight and you made it here this morning, thanks for coming. If you're like me, I made it all the way to 10 o'clock. Because, you know, I'm getting old and that's the way life goes, right? It amazes me. But this is where we are. That people have walked away from church and have not come back. And I want to ask them a question. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Amazes me how we allow somebody on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, somebody on social media that may or may not be real, maybe some kind of artificial bot or whatever it is, but but we allow these things to influence us. And we have taken what is universally and eternally true about human biology and anatomy and we have turned it upside down on its head and said, truth no longer applies. We can't answer a simple question all because of what social media has done to us. Churches such as the Methodist Church that were found 
the, the witness and preaching of John and Charles Wesley, and we sing so many of their hymns and songs in our churches, and yet the very same church is being torn in half because people can't stand on the truth of the Word of God. But you want to ask the question, do you honestly believe that Jesus Christ is one that John sees here in the first chapter. Again, we could go on and on. Christians are sitting here. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You know what God's Word tells you to do about how you are to live and love and forgive and redeem your life and so on and so forth. And And yet we hear week after week, we read it. We fail to listen, to live and order our lives according to God's Word and what He tells us to do. See, I don't know what 2023 holds. And and I'm telling you, I'm praying. I'm praying for victory. Praying for revival. I'm praying for your loved ones to be sitting there in church. And I'm believing, God, that when we are here next year, the ones you pray about and you tell me every once in a while, please pray for them. I'm praying that they're going to be here with us. and, And God can do that. He still does that. Man, he still works. I'm praying for healing. And some of you that are walking around with a cane or a walker or limp or whatever it is, or, or maybe you can't make it every week because of the pain that is there, I'm praying that it's all going to be gone. Man, I'm praying that a president or governor, new governor, wherever, I don't know when he's inaugurated, but praying that they'll get up on TV and declare that Jesus is Lord of their lives. And we need to pray for these things. We need to believe God for these things. And we keep on praying. But regardless of what happens, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He reigns over all this earth. And then nothing, nothing can ever separate me from His great love my question to you is this is that settled in your mind is that settled in your mind because you're going to come one week and I'm going to say something and promise you I will not have any kind of insight and I have not been reading your emails or whatever God is going to speak to you and say, you know what? He's pointing out how you're living. You need to change and repent. Again, you're going to be looking at me like, well, what do you know? And I'm going to be like, look, I'm just some goofy bumpkin up here saying what I think God wants us to say. And God's going to speak to you. Are you going to listen to His Word? And are you going to pledge your life to Him regardless of what comes your way. Sing that song, I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.
If you believe in the truth and the power of this message that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you can and will follow Him no matter what comes your way. If it's great times of victory and success, it's times of great failure and loss, we still hold our head up high and say, Jesus is King. and He is Lord of all. And He is worthy of my worship and devotion. Is He worthy of your life today? Pray that He is. And this is the first Sunday of the month we're going to take communion like we usually do. Worship team, if you want to come and Ushers, if you want to prepare, get ready for communion. Again, the challenge is not to not to discourage you or make you feel like you're some horrible, rotten person. But it is to remind you of this truth this morning. Jesus is Lord. He is King. He has risen from the dead. And in those songs we sing, Savior worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all of our praise, you overcame. Those songs are not just songs that, you know, Mary and Diane and Jim can harmonize on and sound really good. They are true, they are real. He is wearing the victor's crown today. And as such, He is worthy. Worthy of your worship. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you to consider His claims. It's not just that He is King of kings and Lord of lords, but He is also the one who loves you so much. He was willing to die on the cross for your sins. And it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how great your sin has been. Jesus stands ready to forgive you. To make you His child. I challenge you today to receive Him. Receive Him as your Savior this morning. If you're here today and as we take the communion elements and if you're a believer and you know Christ as Savior you're welcome to join us regardless of whether or not you're a member of the church this is open for all who believe and have trusted Christ as Savior and I challenge you to take it to take it with the, dis, the, 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 the choice the declaration in your heart that's the word I was looking for that Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I am going to follow you forever. And take it with that declaration in your heart. You are my God. And if my husband, if my wife walk away from you, I am going to serve you. If you take my job and my home and my family and I am left with nothing but a prison cell to rot away in, I am going to serve you. Make that decision, that declaration. Realize what Christ has done for you.
give your life to follow him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning knowing, knowing and believing and confessing that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all the heavens and the earth. That there is nothing that can stop him. Lord, as we come today and we reflect on the work of Christ on the cross, we remember the power of the cross to forgive and to set us free. We also come. We also come with the assurance that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. That you rule and reign over our hearts and lives. We declare and we confess today as a church that you are Jesus Christ, Son of God. There is no other. Devotion is to you and you alone. Bless us as we do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ushers come. Why don't you go ahead and lead us?